welcome to Terragard, a world of adventure. Atos, come and face me! Of heroes. Elroy, jump! Of battle. Welcome to Terragard Tales, Season 1, The Lunar Sundering, The Grummerand, Part 2, written and narrated by D.S. Tierney. Previously on The Grummerand, as the city of Salnorans breathed its final breath, Scarab was confronted by the Arbiter Hargreave, who blamed him for the Cataclysm. Scarab dealt with the man and made his way to the catacombs for safety. There he found the rest of the Decrow engaged in debaucherous celebration. Once again he was confronted, this time by Yingsen, the judge above all and lead of the council. Only he would not find a way out and be arrested. And now, part two of The Grummerand. Ingredients. One ounce water per caster. Two pints of blood taken from each unwilling sacrifice. One pound of grave dust. Thirty-nine petals from an orange blossom. The soul of a spirit. Mother? Quiet, child. You'll wake the dead. Daedradora's whisper was ice. The grip she held on his wrist as she yanked him through the tunnels hurt, but Scarab knew better than to say so. Even at seven years old, he knew how to read people, situations, and behave accordingly. Master Basal loved to praise the prized students in his class, turning the rest against them. Recognizing that early, Scarab stayed in the middle earning a reputation of mediocrity, but holding no illusions on how far he would rise. Anonymity was his mask, and Scarab needed no one to pat him on the back. To be born into the Falkieri caste was to be born into garbage. The great seers of the past held sway, power, making decisions to guide the Decrow Empire. That was long ago. Now... Falkieri were viewed as little more than amusements, peddling fortunes for food and drink, or a moment's relief. Daedradora retained a modicum of influence, derived from how she performed her tellings. As she put it, they formed from lust, and those who lusted for her were legion. Scarab's birth came from one of her tellings, who the father was, she did not know, or would not tell. Scarab asked once, and her reply was a slap across his face. He never asked again. Are we below the plague tunnels? Yes, she answered, pulling him along with the torch held high in the other hand. Scarab was good at counting, even enjoyed it. When they entered the tunnels, he counted the twists and turns they made, but soon lost track amidst the wonder of ancient architecture. The student in him 
voracious in his hunger to know more, wanted to stop and study the scratched writings on stone archways and peruse shelves of dusty, discarded books. Mother had other plans. Their journey concluded in a room of damp stone and hanging moss. Gargoyles, chipped and worn from centuries of neglect, watched from dark corners. Their expressions locked in a state of perpetual surprise. What occupied Scarab's attention wasn't the stone guardians, or the tiny fountain filled with brackish water, but the bed and wardrobe placed in the center of the room, both new and woefully out of place. This will be yours, Mother said. Fine, what about our home? Silence! Mother never raised her voice. There was no need. All of the malevolence, power, and authority a scream could carry was conveyed within the quiet sizzle of her tone. You would do best to take this time to memorize what you can. The bed, the wardrobe, the water, and the hole for your defecations. Once I leave, I take the light with me. You're leaving me here? Am I being punished? No, child. Her hand touched his cheek. Soft and warm. Learn this place well. Mother turned abruptly and left. Her promise of darkness came to pass. The door closed, followed by the heavy, metallic thud of a lock. Scarab ran blindly toward the sound and tripped. Pain blossomed across his face as he slammed into the ground. The boy wept. Mother, don't leave me here! The echoes of his sobs were the only response. Scarab gasped as he woke and immediately took a breath to calm mind and body. The dream of childhood faded, but the place remained the same. The smell of wet stone and moss, the gritty texture of the damp mud beneath his back, the high-pitched sound of air whistling through cracks. Sitting up, he inspected the room. Two rows of columns divided the chamber into thirds. In the center, a broken stone planter filled with petrified stalks spanned the length of the floor. Crystalline bars hastily conjured, judging by the imperfections in the facets, ran across the columns, trapping Scarab into one side. The only light source was a torch in the hallway beyond the garden room, and the shadow it created upon the stone plants appeared as a macabre dancing nightmare. A leather cuff, stitched with threads of spellweave, squeezed his left wrist. Any attempt to use magic with it on would result in great pain as red sparks of magic dug into the bearer's flesh. Those who tried to overcome the pain and destroy the bracelet often found their heart giving out or brain melting before the bracelet did. The downfall of the Decrow was their reliance on magic to solve every issue. Even the warrior cult leaned heavily on enchanted weapons and spells to enhance their bodies. Scarab never labored under any such notion, gathering skills beyond the mystical arts. The debauchery continued, and the sounds were not far. Scarab consulted his mental map and traced where he was against where he needed to go. No one was left to guard him. Another mistake. If memory served... And it always did. Leaving through that door would take him... You're rather active for someone who was snoring moments ago. 
Scarp removed his hands from the crystalline bars and turned toward the voice. That he was not alone came as a surprise and could have proven a costly oversight had the man not spoken up. Draped in deep shadows, all Scarab could see was the faint outline of someone sitting with their back against the wall and knees tucked tightly against their chest. Was he a spy, sent in to pry loose a tidbit of information? Could Yingsen be that lazy? Come out of the shadows, Scarab commanded. Yes, of course. The man stood and stepped forward, the dim light giving a sinister cast to his sharp features. An archipelagan, older in years and well-spoken, but dressed in the loose clothing and fetishes of his people. The cloquier don't normally bring in pleagues of your advanced years. I'm no plague, and I won't live long enough to become one. The raven dwellers are planning to hang me. They're not usually so wasteful. Did you kill one? Scarab heard the term raven dweller once or twice. A good reminder of the simplicity of the Archipelagans. Their primitive minds couldn't handle the unknown, and so they obsessed over assigning these mysteries to animals or totems. Wasteful? I should not be surprised to hear a disgusting sentiment from one such as you. Scarab laughed. <laughs> there are no others such as me. Nor like me. I was the greatest hunter, tracker of tree and leaf. For years I baffled the raven dwellers, tricked them, and kept our babies from their grasp. I did not kill one. I killed dozens. An intriguing boast. If true, the cloquier were hiding the loss of their numbers from the council. In another time or place, such information would be invaluable in leveraging support from the catchers. Perhaps it still could if an unlikely instance presented itself. And yet they still caught you. Scarp leaned against the bars, closing his eyes as he listened to the noise of the banquet. When it settled down, he could make a move, find a way out. I blame the youth. The lessons I passed on went unheeded. The raven dwellers came and took many while the young hunters slept under the stars. A hunter brought down by age and the stupidity of others. A common tale. No talking! A warrior cultist snapped as he entered the garden room. Two others followed, carrying with them a tall, thin object concealed by a sheet. A thick metallic clank stung Scarab's ears each time the legs touched down. The lead cultist smiled at Scarab and yanked the sheet, revealing a wrought iron rack with four pikes. Atop each pike sat a head, the two pleagues who once served Scarab, as well as his trusted men, Jacko and Tori. Scarab let out a wordless scream as he lunged forward, reaching through the bars. Yet it was too far. Errant strands of hair from the cultist's beard brushed against his fingertips, but nothing more. The bastard had the unmitigated gall to laugh. <laughs> Scarab pushed harder against the bars, hoping for another inch, but got no further. Why? he asked, pulling back. What did they do? This is an outrage. 
The click of a wooden cane tapping on stone gave reply. Soft, slippered feet dragged lazily under the man. Ah, is it an outrage? Yingsen answered. He waved his cane, dismissing the cultists. The lead man remained, laughing at Scarab amid a multitude of rude gestures. Yingsen whacked the cultist, and then the bars of the cage, separating them. The cultist left without another word. A new low, even for you, Scarab said, flexing his hand, shaking the pain away. The Grand Tower of Fansor was stronger than you gave it credit for. Yingsen poked the dead face of Jocko with the end of his cane, and then rested it beneath the chin to close the corpse's mouth. That nerves me when their mouths gape open. The horrors of being married to a necromonger, I suppose. Fansor hasn't fallen. Yingsen turned round as he cleaned his cane. It has fallen, but not so completely that we didn't find poor Hargreave in your official chambers. So he died in the fall, then. A pity. Scarip, we both know that's not true. Your friend Tory wrenched his neck round so he could look at his own backside. Stepping back, Scarip looked away from the severed heads while hiding his sorrow in the darkness. There's no proof of that. And there doesn't need to be. We arrested them as they left the tower. They were tried and judged, and their heads removed. What the necromongers are doing with their bodies, I do not wish to know. As for the rest of the Falkieri, a warrant was issued. The lesser castes are searching for them. Potioners, Shanticers, even the rot guts. When the rest of your vermin are found, they will all die in equal measure. Am I to be the last? Is that why I still have a head? You want me to watch them die? No, I don't care if you see it or not. Yingsen wrapped the cane on the floor, summoning a plague with a chair for him to sit on. The slave helped him sit and even smoothed out his robes as he settled his bony backside in the cushion. There are those who wanted a fifth spike on this contraption. Why keep you alive after you've caused so much havoc? We both know this is not my doing. If I had, we, we would be having the same conversation. You're reckless, Scarab. You lack an attention to detail necessary for complex spell work. Gingson tapped his cane again as he leaned forward. I had hoped for more from those who did. So you know who they are? Of course. Yingsen sounded annoyed at answering the question. But I can't have them getting caught up in the frothing desire for vengeance the remaining chattel feel. I'll need their help in rebuilding this ruin of a world. I could help you, Scarab replied. That, that's a joke, yes? He shrugged. And smirked. I would put a knife in your back the first chance I got. Was worth a try, though. <laughs> Indeed. Be at ease. You will still have your part to play. What? Cautionary tale? Murder? Mummer? Scarab, where is the Grummerand? The what? Scarab hoped he didn't pause or show surprise at the mention. Another joke? 
The Grummerand was a thing of legend, a tome of powerful magic, unrivaled in its destructive capabilities. Everyone knew the stories, but the book itself was believed lost many generations ago. You did not come up with the idea of harnessing the celestial entity on your own. This was true, but neither did it come from the Grummerand. Young Scarp walked through a hallway of absolute darkness, dragging his hand along the wall. The gritty texture of stone, the crags and crevices, were all as unique as any person. Learning those, memorizing them, gave an identity to each hallway. It took two days to learn the layout of the room his mother left him in, and another to open the door. As soon as he managed that, food appeared. The aroma of chicken, bread, and soup filled the air. The boy ate, stuffing his mouth until he felt he could burst. Each day thereafter, the food appeared. Mother was not punishing him, even though the oppressive silence made it feel that way. He just needed to learn the lesson she wanted him to know. Scarab would have retraced the steps he took to enter the catacombs, but he could not remember them. It would be the last time he failed to pay attention. The hallway he walked was new territory, so he paused to listen to the air, the drip of condensation, the rumble of Sal Norens somewhere above. Each painted a picture, placing a piece of the mental map he was creating, with the sanctuary of his room at the center. Scarab was careful never to venture too far from it in the food he needed to stay alive. The stone beneath his hand wobbled, the mortar along its left edge gone. Scarab played with it, testing the strength of the remaining bond, and felt the stone to its left shift similarly. Pressing both hands on the wall, he pushed. Stone scraped on stone as it swung inward. The hidden place beyond breathed, exhaling stale air no person tasted in centuries. Excitement bloomed in his chest. A new place, a secret within a secret. Scarab felt the slanted railing and grasped onto it to keep from tumbling down a staircase he couldn't see. Caution overtook exuberance, and he stepped carefully, feeling each step before putting weight on it. Time was useless in the dark, but even so, he could tell his pace was slow. Today's journey took him further from the room than before, and this even further still. His body was telling him to turn back and eat, rest, and come back later, but Scarab felt drawn forward and ignored his baser instincts. Not knowing he reached the last step, Scarab stumbled forward, catching himself against a wall. The stones were smooth, slick, without being wet and massive. He could not find a seam between them. As his fingers slipped past the edge, a milky globe slowly brightened, revealing a circular chamber of bookcases built into walls, with a table at its center. The globe's light gave off no heat, curious thing, and it brightened to the touch as he placed his hand on its surface. The young boy laughed at the lights, dragging his finger around the globe in odd patterns. Years of water damage took a heavy toll on the bookcases, many of which collapsed into moldering piles. Others remained standing, but the books fell to dust at the slightest touch. 
except one case sitting undisturbed by the elements. Scarab ran a finger along the leather spines, stopping on one of deep red leather etched with the symbol of a dragon. He pulled it free and smiled at the woven dragon on the cover. And the name... McSwain, Scarab said. What? The Celestial Entity. I learned about it from a book by McSwain, an early scholar from the first age of dragon magic. You're making that up, Yingsen scowled. The rest of my plan was crafted from years of research. Yingsen sighed and tapped his cane again. The plague returned and helped him stand. Where is the Grammarand? If it ever existed, it's long dead. Most of the books I found down there are. Oh, Scarab. The death you seem so eager to accept will be a long time coming, the old man said as he smiled. There will be pain, poisoning, drowning, suffocation. We will slowly cut away every part of you until the last begs us to stop. And in the end, you'll tell me what I want to know. Everyone does. The judge above all shuffled out of the room while the plague followed behind, carrying his chair. After they left, a stone slab slid across the doorway, locking him in. A torch was left to burn over the severed heads, a bitter reminder of the price for failure. Frustration boiled over into rage as Scarab punched the wall until his knuckles bled. He stopped short of shattering the bone, even though he wanted very much to continue. He wouldn't even spare a glance in my direction, the old Archipelagan said. He took to sitting in the shadows once more, his finger drawing a pattern in the dust on the floor. What? Your king. He only spoke to you. He's not my king. Not anyone's king. Eh, he'll still see you dead. Scarp grunted as he looked around for something to wrap his knuckles. I wonder, if they'll do all that to you, what will they do to me? Nothing in comparison to my fate. Scarp knelt and tore two strips from the hem of his robes. The wrappings didn't need to be tight. Just enough to keep the blood from running. This was your old city? These tunnels? Yes, Scarab answered, growing tired of the old man's prattling. What does this symbol mean? I've been staring at it for a long time. Scarab took the five steps across the small cell and looked down at what the man was drawing. No, he wasn't drawing. He was tracing something carved in the stone. Move your hand, he said as he looked closer. The symbol was old, much older than the chamber. The whole floor they were on was from the last age. But this, this symbol was from the second age of dragon magic. Scarab smiled. Squeezing his left fist, he felt the cuts on his knuckles reopen and jammed two fingers beneath the bandages. Soaked with blood, he traced the lines of the symbol and whispered, Open. Nothing happened. Yes, he said, recalling the early tongue of the decrow. Garsa. The stones in the floor shook, 
and then one at a time fell away, opening a dark hole large enough for a person. Both Scarab and the old man looked down. The floor below was not far, the drop no more than ten feet. Amazing. What is your name? Tarcoon, the Archipelagan answered. Well, Tarcoon, Scarab said as he dropped down, landing in a crouch. He looked back up at the wizened old face. You coming? Cauldron preparation. Dung flames and shard coal. Add liquids and leave until boil. Dust added with recitation one. Petals added with counter recitation. Divide into equal parts. Thank you for listening to part two of The Grummerand. Please join us next time for part three. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a five-star review and comment. For additional updates, follow our website at www.dstierney.com or on Twitter at dstierney1. If you'd like to help support and see the podcast grow, consider joining the Terror Guard Tales community on patreon.com slash terrorguardtales. Terror Guard Tales, all characters, locations, stories, and content are copyright 2019 and cannot be used or distributed without express permission.